Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to part one of episode 26 and our first episode of July. Happy belated Canada Day, you little freaks. And whatever Independence Day it is or something. Oh, whatever. Like I'm going to (laughs) start celebrating our losses. So yes, I did say part one. I um, did a lot of research for this case. Um, If you follow us on Instagram, I had posted a video that has our July schedule on it. So you'll see there that it says part one and two. Because uh, this one's, this one is a doozy, as the, uh, as the people say. Little doozy, little, little oopsie doodle. (laughs) Little oopsie doozy. It's a dandy. It's fine and dandy. (laughs) (laughs) It's crime and dandy. Crime it's and not, dandy. I don't, it's not dandy. <laughs> don't do this shit. Okay. Okay, so then on that note, um, last our last um, episode last week had our new guest host, Paige, mm-hmm. and that episode was so fun to do. Mm-hmm. I hope that you all liked it. I personally had a great time. I love hearing about little puckwidgies. Yeah. It was so and fun. she's happy to share her experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it was a great time. And I, yeah, I just hope everyone enjoyed that episode because we plan on having her back for just like just a recurring guest host. Yeah. And at the end, I had given her a suggestion to do Mothman, which I'm so excited about. Yeah. I really, really dig Mothman. And the movie Mothman. And the movie The Mothman Prophecies. Oh, right. The Mothman Prophecies. Love me some uh, Richard Gere. Richard Gere, yeah. <laughs> just don't think about the gerbil. Yeah. Uh, Right, right. Right, right. And uh, yeah, before we get into this week's episode, I also wanted to say that last weekend, you and I worked to, mostly you, worked to get our shop up and running. Hell yeah, she's running smooth. So we have a shop. It's on our website. It's on Instagram and Facebook. And in the shop, we have our first piece of merch. Yeah. Which is a gorgeous iron-on patch. Yeah, embroidered patches. It's so lovely. With with no tax and free shipping, might I add. Exactly. Yep. So everyone go and check that out. Go to our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. You can shop there. Mm-hmm. Or if uh, you prefer to go on social media, then of course, follow us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But we have a shop tab there. So you can just hit the little shop button, get yourself a patch. Yeah. They're great for jackets, particularly jean jackets. I'd be a little weirded out if I saw it on a leather one, but hey, you do you. And purses. I have one on my purse, yeah. Yeah. And and couches. Oh, yeah. Iron it on your couch. Use it as a coaster. Throw it in the trash. I don't care. Just I, buy a patch. I kind of care if you throw it in the trash. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can put it on your car. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I got, I got a... 
we never talked about that dope pin I found at while thrifting, <laughs> and I put it on the back seat of my car so whoever's tailgating me can see a big pin on my uh, on my seat that says, "Are you a quarter pounder person?" <laughs> so random because it was at a like flea market type deal so i just imagine whatever vendor was selling that pin has had it since that pin was issued like 30 years ago yep and comes back and goes through their inventory like wait a minute some freak actually bought my pin that said are you a quarter pounder person hell yeah i did it was a big ass pin so i think i spent five bucks on it (laughs) it's so funny though and it's like you can't miss it yep it's on the back headrest like the back seat headrest so it, it's showing through the back window yeah you could put so yeah you could go buy a patch you could put it there mm-hmm. they're awesome represent uh one of your favorite little indie podcasts and all the and one of the cool things is the the little um there's regular stars in the background but there's also these colored stars and they represent the podcast hosts mm-hmm. including Paige mm-hmm. and it's all of our favorite colors which we use to record our tracks with so that's right so we've got green for the recording track that's green and red and blue and mm-hmm. which one's Kobe's again he has a blue one yeah yeah he's on there Kobe is my little cat son and he's our boss he comes in every once in a while inspects the room make sure that we are you know focused on everything's, task everything's up to he snuff. gives us a very disapproving look because he's a cat and mm-hmm. he finds everything unimpressive and i love that little fucker yeah me too <laughs> so yeah go buy a patch okay love you thank you so today i have a mysterious case for you Ooh. Are you ready to get into it? Very much so. All right, let's do it. Do it. Early on the afternoon of January 2nd, 1935, a Los Angeles man in his early 20s walked into the Hotel President in Kansas City, Missouri. He asked for an interior room several floors up, gave his name as Roland T. Owen, and paid for the night. Owen was very specific with the request. He wanted a room overlooking the hotel's courtyard, not the street outside. So an interior room is basically a room that has no balcony access or like fire escapes. Like mm-hmm. you're lucky if it has just a window. Right. So he was very specific with, with his request. He was dressed well and wearing a dark overcoat, but he had no bags or luggage with him. The staff observed that he had a southern accent, a visible scar above his left ear, and both ears resembled cauliflower. Also, it's a long weekend, so if you hear a bunch of weird noise, sorry about it. Yeah. There's fireworks, there's street racing, it's fucking bumping over here. Yeah, it's also spicy out, so we've got, <laughs> we've got the back door open a little bit so that we can survive this long haul we've got. So uh, Just tolerate it, okay? Yeah, thank you for your patience. <laughs> <laughs> That sound, that sound condescending. Thank you for your patience. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck right off. So like, just go fuck yourself then, okay? <laughs> My friend over here was a Boy Scout. Weren't you a Boy Scout? Uh, no, but I ate a brownie once. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, both ears resembled cauliflower. Dyson, what do you think of if someone's ears resemble cauliflower? I think of a boxer. Exactly. Great observation. Well, puppy do. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a fucking boxer, boxer. <laughs> like, a, like, like, yeah, boxing, like the Adrian, sport. kind of boxer. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, if he dies, he dies. 
Wrong, wrong guy. Wrong oh, guy. That was Drago. That was okay. Why do I remember that? <sighs> I don't like to do this with you. I don't like to do any sort of movie references or quotes with you. It mm-hmm, makes me stressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. A bellhop named Randolph Propst accompanied Owen to the elevator and took him up to the 10th floor. On the way up, Owen told him that he had spent the previous night at the nearby Mulebuck Hotel, but found the $5 nightly rate too expensive. Dyson. <laughs> $5 nightly rate. What year is this again? It's 1935 in America. Woo! All right. I'm going to say that's about 150 Um, a little bit too high, but not bad. Oh, all right. It is about $106. He thought that was too expensive for a hotel. Well, just keep it in mind, okay? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Props led Owen to room 1046 and let him in. Props watched as Owen took a black hairbrush and a black comb and toothpaste from his overcoat pocket and placed them above the sink. Together, Owen and Props left the room. Props locked the door behind them and handed the key over to Owen. They returned to the lobby together, but parted ways when Owen left the hotel. He never said where he was going, but he props were certain that Owen left. Mm-hmm. Not long afterward, Mary Soptio, one of the hotel maids, started her afternoon shift. She let herself into room 1046 and was surprised to find Owen there. Since the previous night, a woman had been staying in the room. And it was also surprising because in my research, I couldn't find any accounts of people seeing him return to the hotel after props had saw him leave. Mm-hmm. So he had just like mysteriously materialized back into the room. Weird. I know. Mary had apologized to him for any sort of confusion or like potential intrusion, but Owen was like, yo, it's fine. Like, go ahead, clean the room. It's cool. Yeah. So... Uh, As she made her way about the room, cleaning and observing, she noticed that Owen had the shades drawn and left only one dim lamp on. Every time she returned to the room throughout his stay there, this was the case. The shades were drawn and that dim lamp was the only light on in the room. Oh, I hate that. It's so ominous. It's so ominous, but also it's just super depressing. It's depressing as shit. I can't be in a room if the lights aren't on. I know. Every time we come here, you turn my like overhead light on. I do, yeah. And I always turn it off because I find that depressing. I just want like mood lighting, like little lamps on, but you're like, it's too dim in here. Yeah, I need (laughs) brightness. I need like max brightness on everything. And I just want to live in like dim mood lighting. (laughs) Like, can we find a way to replicate the sun in this room? Thank you. So I'm Owen and you're Mary. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Thank you for just no. You're just like yes. I have no argument against it. You're right in every account so far. <laughs> so Mary later told the police, "Quote: My impression of this man from the expression on his face and his actions was that he was either very worried about something or afraid." End quote. Mm-hmm. After she had been cleaning for a few minutes. Owen got ready to leave. He put his overcoat on and brushed his hair. But before leaving, he asked Mary to leave the room unlocked because he was expecting some friends in a few minutes. So Mary obliged. Okay. At 4 p.m., Mary returned to the room with clean towels. The room was totally dark now and Owen was lying on the bed, fully dressed. The only light came from the hallway when Mary opened the door and on his bedside table, she saw a note that read, quote, 
Dawn, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. End quote. Okay. The, this is so weird to me because the gap of her, like the time of her leaving the room unlocked mm-hmm. because Owen had left. So she had to leave the room unlocked for his supposed friends that were coming. Yep. And then her returning with the towels, it wasn't that long. Mm-hmm. So when Mary was in there cleaning, she did not see a note that said this, this like, hey, Don, wait for me note. Yep. But so did Owen return to the room, see that Don wasn't there, write the note, leave again, come back and see that Don still wasn't there, but just left the note on the table? It's such a weird thing. Yeah. Because it wasn't that long. Yeah. And he had already left when Mary was still cleaning and he didn't leave a note. So like he came back, saw that Don wasn't there, left left the note and then left again. It's so fucking weird. This is just a heads up. Also, this whole case is just going to have you going, huh? What the fuck are these people doing? My head, it hurts. <laughs> so just, just have fun and stick along for the ride with us, okay? All right. The next morning, January 3rd, Mary returned to room 1046 around 1030. The room was locked, which led her to assume that Owen was out since, apparently, the doors could only be locked from the outside. But when she opened it with her own key, Owen was there, sitting in the dark by the phone, just where he had been the previous afternoon with that dim lamp on. The doors can be only locked from the outside in a hotel? In this one, yes. I read that in multiple places. That's, that's fucked. It's so fucked. Like, what, a, what the housekeeping is just going to tuck in at night? <laughs> Good night, dear. I'll lock the door on my way out. Not everyone has a key in, in relation to, like, the people who work there. Yeah. But regardless, it's fucked. Because when he checked in, that bellhop, Propst, gave him the key. So he had it. So how mm-hmm. was he inside of this room with the door locked? Which only locks from the outside. Maybe he's hiding under the bed. It's so weird. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't. So many things about that are just so fucking upsetting. It's all upsetting. It's all creepy. It what what if sense. I want to go to bed? And I like. Then you just go to bed and you hope that no one else has a key. Ew. <laughs> Your face. Oh, no, no. I don't care what year it is. That's fucked in any year. I know. I agree with you. So yeah, he was just sitting there alone in this room that had been locked from the outside. He was sitting by the phone, just chilling in the dark. And then the phone rang. So he answered it and he said either, quote, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I am not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I am not hungry. Okay. Or? Second source. No, Don, I've had my breakfast. I don't care to go out. Okay, so either way, either way, he's not leaving the room, and either way, he doesn't he, want to eat. He doesn't. He's not. He's not feeling. It. He doesn't want breakfast or food, and he's talking to Don. Okay. So he was still holding the phone when Owen asked Mary about her job as she was cleaning. He asked her if she was responsible for the entire floor and if the President Hotel was residential. Based on my research, no, it, it's never been residential. It's just a straight up check in, check out type deal. Mm-hmm. 
He then told her about how he had previously been staying at the Mulebach, but mm-hmm. it was too expensive. A conversation he had also had with that bellhop. This guy really has it in for the the Mulebach. Mulebach. Yeah. Mulebach. He's like, "Fuck that place, man." I was telling Randolph them. <laughs> Yeah, Randolph. I was telling Randolph the other day, the moolah box just way too expensive. Oh, I love these trees. Bonsai. <laughs> <laughs> so Those old World War II movies. Bonsai. <laughs> so I've just decided now, I'm 100% imagining him throughout the course of this as what I presume to be evil Dr. David Lynch. Dr. Lynch. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry. I like it. Well, yeah. Shit, yeah. <laughs> so Mary also was like, that's fucking nice. I don't care. I don't work at the Moolabach. Anyway, so she yep. just kept cleaning and left. Okay. Yep, smart. So just like the day before, she returned to room 1046 at 4 p.m. to bring Owen some clean towels. She's really diligent with bringing clean towels, and I love it because mm-hmm. I hate when you're staying at a hotel for a few days and you're like, motherfucker. Like, I'm out of towels. <laughs> hotels are dirty in a heap on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So inside, she after she returned to the room, she did not enter because inside she could hear two men talking. So she knocked. Mm-hmm. A voice she described as loud and deep and likely not Owen's asked who it was. So she said who she was and that she had brought fresh towels. And the loud, deep voice said, we don't need any. I'm upset because you said likely not his voice. Likely not. <laughs> but like maybe. But like maybe. There's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation going on. This is what I was picturing. I like it. I know. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is like one of my absolute favorite stories ever. Yeah. Like a, like, like a little schmeagle. Oh. We don't need it. (laughs) Fats hobbits. Fats hobbits. (laughs) Do stores it from us? (laughs) No. (laughs) Sorry, I'm gonna stop this episode. People are like, stop! Please stop distracting from all these complicated details. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Randolph was the bellhop. Mary's the other maid. What do y'all? What else do you need? 1046 is the room. Come on. Ready to play. Ready to play. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, like all of you are thinking, Mary thought this was odd because Mm -hmm. she she knew there was no towels in the room because she had just been there in the morning and was like, yo, I took all the towels. Like, I know there's none in here, Mm -hmm. but she was like, okay, whatever. They said, don't come in. They don't want towels. So she left. Right. That's pretty much what it means. If you know there's no towels, they say we don't need any. They don't want any. Yeah, they're like, they're essentially being like, fuck right off. Yep. We're having a very loud, deep conversation here. Very loud, deep, kind of creepy conversation with maybe a Don. Like, maybe, like, likely not Rowan, but like, Uh, I am Ron Burgundy. It's it's Doan now. On January 4th at 6.55 a.m., Leona Oleklos, I'm so sorry, that's not how you say it, I know. <laughs> so Leona was just about done her night shift as a hotel switchboard operator. In her police statement, she says, on January, uh, sorry, it's a, it's a screenshot of the actual police report. Oh, God, good luck. 
Thank you. Well, so it wouldn't be digitalized, would it? No, it's typewritten. Ooh. That's very crimey. On January 4th, 1935, at 6.55 a.m., I noticed the buzzer and light come on from room 1046. This indicated to me that the party in room 1046 wanted telephone service. I plugged in and could not get any response from the room. The light remained burning, so about five minutes later, or about 7 a.m., I called bell service and told them to go to room 1046 as the receiver was off the hook and have the guest to put it back on the hook. I also relie- I was relieved from duty at 7 a.m. by Della Ferguson. I do not recall whether or not the light from room 1046 was burning or off when I left work at about 7.05 a.m. Weird. Also, how diligent is she? Like, the the phone's off the hook. She doesn't have to do shit, but she's like, no, send someone over there. That phone needs to be connected again. Because she, she was like, oh, they must need, they must maybe, they don't know how to reach me, but the phone's off the hook, so maybe they're trying. Yeah. But she plugs in and can't hear anything, but the phone's off the hook. So she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Before her shift ended, she had, like she says in her statement, she had rang bell service to go and check on the room and have them hang up the phone. So Bellboy went to deliver this message. When he got there to room 1046, the door was locked with a do not disturb sign hanging from the doorknob. Mm-hmm. After several lab knocks, there was no audible reply, so the bellboy left. As okay. we know, at 7 a.m., a phone operator named Della Ferguson relieved Leona from her night, si- night shift and she took over the switchboard. She noticed the light indicating that the phone in room 1046 was off the hook. In her police statement, she says, I relieved Leona on the switchboard at the President Hotel at 7 a.m. January 4th, 1935. I took charge of the board and noticed that the receiver was off the hook in room 1046, as indicated by the board. It remained off the hook, and at about 7.10 a.m., I told Bell Service to go to room 1046 and have the guest hang up the receiver. So, at 7.10 a.m., Randolph Probst was on, was on duty, and he was the one to receive Della's call to bell service to tell the guest in room 1046 to put the phone back on the hook. Mm-hmm. The door was still locked, and it still had that do not disturb sign hanging on the doorknob, so he knocked really loud, and he heard a deep voice say, come in. But, Ra- but Randolph couldn't, because the door was locked. So he kept knocking, and then he heard the voice say, turn the lights on. And he said he couldn't enter because the door was locked. So he was yelling through the door for him to open it, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't getting a reply. So he just ended up yelling, hang up the phone, because it's been off the receiver. Like, hang it up. Yeah. He didn't hear a response to this. So he went back, and he told Della that the guest was probably drunk, and to wait another hour and then send someone else up. All right. The light still showed on the board that the receiver was off the hook in room 1046 until 8.30 a.m., and I called for a bell service again. Shortly after that, the receiver was evidently placed on the hook as the light disappeared. But about five minutes later, the light showed again, indicating that the receiver was again removed from the hook in room 1046. 
About 8.40 a.m., I tried to attract the attention of the guest in room 1046 by working the ringing apparatus, which, when the receiver is off the hook, makes a noise that can be heard all over the room. But I got no response. About 8.45 a.m., I was relieved from my position on the board by the chief operator, Miss Cole, and was transferred to another position on the telephone. But I heard nothing after about any difficulty with the phone with the phone in room 1046. Okay. So before Adela was relieved, she had made another call to Bell Service to go back up there and have this phone. Oh my up. god, they're on a mission <laughs> about this fucking light. I would have like been like, whatever. I would have put some tape over it like five minutes after the first bellhop saying, I think he's drunk. They're taking their job very seriously. Oh shit. So this time, a different bellboy, a dude named Harold Pike, he was sent up to room 1046. Again, the do not disturb sign was on the door. The door was still locked, but this time Pike had a key. Ooh. So he let himself in. That's, I hate this. I hate their door situation, but that's great. (laughs) He was like, "Hmm, I'm going in. What's going to be in here? What's that? No consent? Here I come. (laughs) 1935? By a bellboy. (laughs) Inside the room, he found Owen in the dark, lying naked on the bed, breathing heavily, and Pike assumed he was drunk. The only light was from the hallway, and Pike saw dark spots on the bedding, but he assumed they were just shadows. Rather than turn the room light on, Pike went to the telephone stand, saw the phone had been knocked to the floor, so he hung it up. Okay. And then he dipped. He was out of there. Yeah, he he walked in. He didn't see nothing, officer. I didn't see anything. I had one objective. Hang up that damn phone. (laughs) What are those shadows? Mm Hmm. Shortly after ten thirty a.m., Chief Operator Miss Cole reported that the phone in room ten forty six was once again off the hook. Harold Pike was was dispatched again to go and hang it up. (laughs) Dispatched. He loudly knocked several times, heard no response from inside, and opened the door. This time, Owen was on his knees near the door, and his head was covered in blood. Not only was Owen covered in blood, but there was blood on the walls of the main room, the bathroom, and the dark spots he had seen on the bed was also blood. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Pike freaked out, ran downstairs, and went <laughs> to tell the assistant manager, Mr. Weaver, uh, what he had just witnessed. And Mr. Weaver was like, oh, fuck no. And he called the police and a doctor. What kind of shining bullshit was that? <laughs> That's like when the fucking guy opens the door and there's the weird dog dude on his knees. Remember that from The oh, Shining? It's Yeah, when he looks down the hallway and there's like uh, furries, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is Pike. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, dispatch on my way ETA three seconds because it's a hotel. <laughs> Ten four, hauling ass. <laughs> <laughs> Banging bell over. <laughs> Pitch and pike. <laughs> Around 11.30 a.m., Dr. Harold Flanders of Kansas City General Hospital arrived at the hotel and Mr. Weaver and Harold Pike took him up to room 1046. When they entered the room... Owen was in the bathtub with the door closed. In the police report, Harold Pike is quoted as saying, 
He was sitting on the edge of the bathtub with his hands on the edge of the washbowl with blood all over him. I noticed a cord entwined about his hands around each wrist, a cord around his neck, and his feet were tied together. The doctor got his scissors out and cut these cords from about his body. We then got him up on his feet and started to assist him back to the bed, but he then grabbed the faucet of the bathtub and turned the water on, and the doctor turned the water off, and we assisted him on back to the room to the bed. A few minutes later, the police and ambulance arrived, and the man was taken to the general hospital. Okay. Man, this guy just, like, everything has to be on or off. Like, <laughs> phone off the hook. Tap on. <laughs> like, even bound, he's like, that has to be on. Huh. <laughs> I feel like he I feel like he did that and just went one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, oh, one, two, three, no. four. <laughs> Poor Owen, he's just misunderstood. It's Doan now. <laughs> In addition to what Harold Pike had reported, the doctor know it the doctor noticed Owen's neck had bruising as if someone had attempted to strangle him. He had at least three blows to the head and had been stabbed multiple times in the chest around his heart and one of these wounds had punctured his lung whoa in addition to the blood pike had seen on the walls and the bed there was some additional spatter on the ceiling Jeez. dr flanders had examined not just the body but the blood stains in the room since much of the blood had dried by the time he arrived he estimated the wounds had been inflicted between 4 and 5 a.m on the day they found him so January 4th. With these observations, Dr. Flanders speculated Owen had been brutally beaten and possibly tortured. Oh my god. After Dr. Flanders cut the cords, he had asked Owen who had done this to him. And Owen just said, nobody. So the doctor was like, okay, so then what caused these injuries? What happened to you? And Owen said that he had just fallen and hit his head on the bathtub. I fell. He used the I fell. I guess it's not dated yet. It's 1930 something. I, I fell down the stairs or I walked into a door. Walked into the door is a classic. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor asked him, okay, so if nobody did this to you, uh, these injuries aren't just from falling in the bathtub. So like, were you trying to kill yourself? Terribly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And Owen was like, nope. And then he just lost consciousness and was taken to the hospital. She's even infuriating when he's in care. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, so he lost consciousness. He was taken to the hospital. By the time he arrived, he had slipped into a coma. And sadly, he died shortly after midnight on January 5th. Okay. So they couldn't even ask him any more questions because he was no longer with them. So they were just left with a pile of questions and fuckery and confusion uh, of just straight up what the fuck happened other than the phone kept going off the hook yeah what the shit owen what did you what what did you and or someone else do yeah yeah so that's the events surrounding our mysterious guest roland t owen and the interactions that people had with him and now we'll we'll get into the investigation
Kansas City Police Department, KCPD for short, they began investigating immediately. They first started by interviewing a hotel guest named Gene Owen, whose identical last name and proximity to Roland T. Owen struck them as very interesting. Yeah, that's weird. So they detained her while she told them why she was at the hotel and also told them what she had heard the night of January 3rd into the early morning hours of January 4th. So the night of January 3rd is Roland's, Roland T. Owen's second night at the hotel. So they're, they share a last name. And they're and... side by side in rooms. Yeah. So Jean Owen had been shopping in Kansas City for a few hours on January 3rd, but she didn't want to drive back to her hometown in Lee Summit because she was feeling sick. So Lee Summit is a small town about a half hour's drive southeast of Kansas City. Okay. So around 6 p.m., which is two hours after Mary's strange encounter with that mysterious voice, the one who told her they didn't need towels. Mm-hmm. So two hours after that is when Jean had checked into the President Hotel and she was given room 1048, which is right next to Roland Owen. Okay. So her boyfriend, Joe Reinert, worked at Midland Flower Shop in the city. So he came to visit her at around 9 p.m. and stayed for a couple hours. She told police... She also told police she heard a lot of noise coming from room 1046. Specifically, that there was a ton of arguing late into the night and she could hear both male and female voices talking very loudly and very profanely. Female voices too. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> they both have dual personalities. Oh no. <laughs> so they're both going at it. <laughs> that would be a riot. Well, it's already weird as fuck that they're next to each other sharing the same last name, but okay. Well just just hold on to that. So her boyfriend came to the police station and corroborated her account so that she was feeling sick, checked in. Since she was in town, he went and visited her for a bit. Mm-hmm. So because he could corroborate it, she was released since there was no apparent links to their victim. And she returned home to Lee Summit. Okay. As part of the investigation, police needed to know the cause of Owen's death. So Dr. Leach performed an autopsy and the initial findings on the autopsy, which is from the police report that I found. Oh my God, everyone bear with me because blech. the hell of a report. Okay. The body of a well. Okay. So this is the, the typewritten info that Dr. Leach wrote up after he examined Owen's body. Okay. The body of a well-developed white man, height 5'11", weight 180 pounds, age about 25, eyes blue, hair brown, medium complexion. His scar apparently is the result of a burn of some kind. An old small scar about the size of a dime, only oblong in shape, just to the left of the left knee. This scar is the result of a knife or possibly a boil. At the ankles, pressure abrasion wounds just above the ankle. 
indicating the application was encircling in nature. <laughs> Superficial abrasion of the skin are present on either wrist, located just above the joints, similar in nature to those on the ankles. Hands are clean, no signs, except on the right thumb. There is a bluish discoloration of the skin. Hands are fairly soft, do not have the appearance of a tailor. Hands are rather small in proportion to his body. <laughs> is this doctor coming on to him? Your hands are so small, soft, and dainty. ton of hands. You moisturize these? <laughs> small, irregular, oval, penetrating wounds <laughs> present in the sixth inner space are sh about two inches below the left nipple, passed into the chest through the diaphragm without injury to any vital organs. Oh, through the diaphragm? On the right jaw, there is a superficial abrasion wound. In front of the right ear, irregular lacerated wounds are present about a half inch in length, entering into the fatty tissue. Above the right ear, there are four almost half-moon shapes, contused lacerations of the scalp, extending through the scalp. There are three compound fractures of the skull, which was the cause of his death. Teeth regular, no dental work, and in good shape. We have been informed that the deceased had a southern accent. Lips. So Kissable. So, like the report says, it was determined that Owen had died from his wounds, specifically the skull fractures that were due to blunt force trauma. Okay. I, what I found really interesting was the, the puncture wound that went into the lung mm -hmm. went through the diaphragm first. Yes. Which is beneath the lung. So, it I, went upwards. He did have multiple stab wounds. Yeah. I just think it's weird because when I think of someone stabbed... Down to up into the oh. body. That's like a, like, what do they call it? Hurry curry type bullshit where they take the knife and they stab themselves in the gut. So, yeah, almost like almost self inflicted. Like he, yeah. To me, that, that part seemed very odd. Okay, well, hold on to that, okay? Okay, holding on to it. So, Detective searched room 1046 and took notes. They took notes on both. Uh, what they found in the room and what they did not find or see. Fucking phones off the hook again. Okay, yeah, they're obsessed with this <laughs> phone. So consistent with what Propst had, had observed upon Owen's check-in, there didn't appear to be any luggage and there were no clothes in the closet or drawers. The only evidence of any clothing was the tag from a necktie indicating that, had, that it had been made by a New Jersey company. Other than that, there was no clothes in this room. And remember, Buddy was naked. Yeah. So you said a tag from a necktie, right? The tag from a necktie. Mm. Um, it had just been like... On, on the floor or something. Yeah, it had just been like ripped off or something and was sitting there. There is no accounts of if people remember seeing him wearing a necktie. So it could have, maybe he was, mm -hmm. and the, the tag was ripped off, or maybe it was just left over. Yeah. From someone else that had been there. Yeah. 
Missing from the room were the soap, shampoo, and towels provided by the hotel to everyone. So there was also no, like, toiletries or anything. Okay. Which is weird, because remember how diligent those maids are. Like, Mary was was on time every day with those towels. Yeah. There were no knives in the room. Ruling out the cause of Owen's death as suicide since the cause of a stab wound in the chest could not be accounted for. Oh. Mm-hmm. That makes what I initially thought very confusing now. That's what I said. Hold on to it. Okay. I know. I'm telling you, that's what I said initially. This case, you're just going to go, ha, 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 Why? Yeah. A confuse. Maybe he really did have breakfast and he shanked himself. <laughs> <laughs> also to investigators, the cords tying him up suggested the involvement of others because he had his wrists his feet and neck were bound. Someone had tied him up. Mm-hmm. And then he had these stab wounds and the result of his death was that blunt force trauma to the head. So he had obviously been beaten. Plus of that blood spatter in that room was insane. Yeah. One of the room's two glasses was found broken in the sink and the other was still on the shelf. Detectives found some other items that could be evidence. They found a hairpin, a safety pin, an unsmoked cigarette, and a full bottle of diluted sulfuric acid. What? What? I I don't know. You're just oh, that's my sulfuric acid. No big deal. <laughs> you talk about my <laughs> my essay. <laughs> <laughs> you found my saw, huh? oh my god drop it four fingerprints small enough that detectives believed they belonged to a woman were found on the room's phone and the same small fingerprints were found on the broken glass they couldn't be matched to owen or to any of the hotel employees who were found or to any of the hotel employees who were known to have entered the room so before you think about that autopsy report, where the <laughs> Dr. Leach was certain to say he had small hands, <laughs> they were not matched to him. Okay. So it wasn't his tiny fingers. It wasn't his dainty fingers and his kissable lips. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, Dyson added the kissable lips because Mwah. he's been picturing David Lynch this whole time and would like to kiss those lips. You'd be jealous if I came back and I was like, I kissed David Lynch. I would break up with you. All right. because i would be so jealous and sad (laughs) i'd be like i want that good morning everyone it's friday again (laughs) that was really accurate today i've been thinking about lana del rey's video games (laughs) (laughs) you know what's funny every time i see his like (laughs) For those that don't know, he does, like, these random YouTube, like, morning, like, weather reports to start your day. Yeah. So, he just literally just starts telling you the weather. Mm -hmm. But every time I think of uh, where he is in the world, I imagine he's doing that in the Lost Highway house. And I don't know why. Oh. But that's exactly where I imagine David Lynch lives. I wouldn't be surprised. Also, if you think of like Lost Hall, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, all those movies—they're mm-hmm. very, the scenery and the and the locations he used, uses are very like 
intertwined. Just walking around that fucking place with video games is playing. <laughs> hey, if David Lynch likes Lana already. He would. He gets so dramatic over it, too. Oh, well, her um, Blue Velvet music video, which was sponsored by H&M, but she is Lana, so she has, like, um, input on, like, nearly everything. Mm-hmm. It's Blue Velvet, which is a David Lynch movie. And it's very Lynch. There's like little people in it. Um, the plot of the whole thing doesn't make sense. It's very old timey. It's just super surreal. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cool. It's right up his alley. Yeah. As the police continued to investigate, they quickly realized that Roland T. Owen was likely an alias. They suspected this because officers in Kansas City contacted the Los Angeles Police Department. To notify the next of kin, but they were informed that they could not find any records that anyone under this name was living in the city at this time. And if you'll remember, they would have contacted the LAPD because when he checked in to the President Hotel, he said that he was from Los Angeles. Right. So they were like, okay, well, let's tell them that this dude is dead and and we have to let their family know. Yeah. And they were like, no. Buddy by that name lips here, so sorry, can't help you. So Owen's fingerprints were sent to the Justice Department's Bureau of Investigation, which mm-hmm. today is the FBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they sent the fingerprints over to try and find a possible match in their collection. Okay. The police decided to seek help through the press, and newspapers published the story on their front pages on January 6th. Police wanted help from the press and the public because they were looking for people to come forward as like potential eyewitnesses as well. Um, the, the point of putting it in the papers was to seek help in identifying him. Right. Okay. For who he really was. So they're was. crowdsourcing it. Essentially, yes. Yeah. He did not have ID on him, and the only name that they had to go off of was the name that he checked into the hotel with, so they needed all the help they could get. Detective Johnson also confirmed with reporters that the case was considered a homicide because they firmly believed that someone else was involved with Owen's death. Which right. makes sense. He was he was stabbed multiple times. He had this blunt force trauma to his head. He was bound. There was blood everywhere. There was that weird voice. The weird deep voice that multiple people mentioned yeah it's obviously very deep or something and a a female voice as well for some reason i have my theories are 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 building up good keep 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 them building yeah on january 6th the sunday newspapers reported that the man in room 1046 had died under an assumed name members of the public went to the local funeral home where owen had been laid out yeah you mean laid out laid out like after he had died at the hospital he was sent to this funeral home and they laid him out for people to come and look at all right they They put clothes on him i yeah i think they did they didn't you know they didn't need people to know if he was packing heat or not (laughs) 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 but yeah they laid him out as like a spectacle almost like hey come and check out this body see if you know him see if you recognize him or not whoa yeah so they did that it and... reminds me of um 
there's it reminds me of the it's kind of tangential but in brazil there's like this custom where they like if you die they dress you up and like stage you as if you were still alive and that's your wake and so like there's like videos of like people who will like it'll be at a nightclub and there'll be like this one dude who's not moving up on stage with like echo t-shirt and all this kind of stuff and they dressed him up doing what he loved oh wow but he's dead it's a custom like in brazil is really popular so so who knows maybe maybe he likes sprawling out so much that they laid him out for this one it's 1935 it was a different time yeah it also reminds me of like 1935 was probably a bit late but you know like especially around the turn of the century they would take photos of dead people posed like it was a family photo oh yeah so like yeah. it's i guess just really not that weird to us it's a little bit morbid but yeah around this time it was like yo what better way to figure out if people know him lay his body out yeah come on down so because it was laid out and put in the papers of like come on check out this body see mm-hmm. if you know who he is or not it um led a man named robert lane to check out owen's body and he ended up going to the police and telling them of his encounter with this man on the night of January 3rd. So Robert Lane was a city worker. He was driving on 13th Street near Lydia Avenue. So this is just over a kilometer east of the hotel that Roland Owen was staying in. Mm-hmm. So he was driving around 13th, Ave- 13th Street and he saw a man dressed in only an undershirt, pants, and shoes running towards his car and flagging him down. So Robert Lane stopped. The man apologized, saying that he had mistaken Lane's car for a taxi. Okay. The, but the man was like, well, while I have you, could you take me to a place where I can actually get a taxi? So Lane agreed and let the man inside his car. Lane said the man looked like hell. He had deep sc- he had a deep scratch on his arm. He was cupping it like he was trying to catch the blood. Mm-hmm. And he thought he was dressed really poorly for a cold night. He's only in like an undershirt, pants, and yep. a shirt. He's like, where the fuck's the rest of your clothes? Yep. So Lane said the man swore he would, quote, kill someone else tomorrow. Presumably in retaliation or whatever had been done to him. Yeah. Okay. Always amazed when people just say that to random strangers. I know, right? Like, like doing them a favor. Woof. Like, yeah. Oof. Like, yeah. Can you give me a ride? I'm gonna fucking murder someone. <laughs> well, Lane let the man out at the nearby intersection at the nearby intersection of 12th Street and Troost Avenue, which was only about four or five blo- blocks away. Right. And it's west, so it's even closer to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And this, he let him apparently let him off at this spot because it is a spot where taxi drivers often waited for fares during overnight hours. Okay. So he's like, "Hey, yo, you wanted a taxi? Here you go." Yep. Um, the man thanked him, got out, and went to one of the cabs that was parked. There was nobody in this cab, but the window was down, so he started honking the horn. Right. And this brought out whoever's taxi that was from a diner that was nearby. So the guy was like obviously in there like getting some grub this or dude's something. Dude's in a mad rush. Yeah. So he yeah. the guy was like, Who the fuck is honking my horn? Okay, well this guy disheveled the shit, obviously wants a ride. So he yeah. was roused from the diner and 
presumably took this guy where he needed to go. But mm-hmm. after he had been honking the horn and saw the taxi driver come out, yeah, Robert Lane drove away. So okay, that ends. I mean, I would fucking sighting. dip real fast too. I know. I'd plus, like, I'd be like, goodbye. Plus, this encounter that Robert thinks was um, Owen was only over the course of, of of like a minute, two minutes. It was just a couple of blocks. Yeah, that's so weird that chaotic. he like. Yeah, I initially thought like maybe he was just like lying about the cab to try and get in the car, but like he wasn't far enough, far away. Mm-mm. So it's just weird. The thing with this though is that after the police had been interviewing Robert Lane. Detective Johnson wasn't as certain as Lane that this man had been Owen since none of the hotel staff had reported seeing him leave or return during the night of January 3rd. Okay, right, it's, yeah. It is some something to obviously like take into account if nobody saw him leaving or returning. The- but also remember that he had apparently already left and returned and no one saw him. Yeah. The this the the first day when he was checked in and props was like, y'all he laughed, I don't know where he went, but where he went to clean and he was in the room. Yeah. So like, I don't know. But also what about the deep cut on his arm? Did that show up in the autopsy? No account of a deep cut on his arm. Weird. So it might have really resembled maybe they were similar maybe he had a doppelganger true you know how like weird you know how like everyone just says like the oh it doesn't look like them like when they're dead yeah like it, it wakes they're like oh it doesn't look the same mm-hmm. so maybe it was like that exactly and that it could be so many things mm-hmm. and and also like you run the risk of like well maybe this person just wanted to be involved maybe they're bored maybe they were like that kind of they like- were the killer all along <gasps> robert lane are you listening? <laughs> We're on to you. <laughs> so he's, why, he's probably dead. <laughs> he's for sure dead. Yeah. So wire services began picking up the story. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So it ran in the newspapers and on the radio all around the country. And in this, I guess, like newscast, the police had said to mention that if anybody thought this man, Roland Owen, could be someone they know to send in photos so that they could compare the photos to the dead man. Right. So more leads on the man's identity came in as a result of this, of the, like, broadcasting. And the the KCPD had to devote considerable time to corresponding with police all over the country. They had to do it through mail, telegram, and it took so much time. Huge pain in the ass, yeah. And, yeah, it's 1935. Like, it yep. was so much more tedious. And they were following up on almost every lead they got. So they were had to recruit a bunch of people to help work on this. Um, they followed up on nearly all of the leads. And eventually they were able to eliminate pretty much all of the leads. Oh, wow. So they were left with... Just doing a bunch of busy work that led yeah. to nothing. Yeah. They were just back at stage one of like, great, so who is this guy? Yeah, well, shit. So some of the examples of the tips that were coming in. A woman called the President Hotel to ask what Roland T. Owen looked like. She told the desk that he lived in Clinton over 70 miles southeast of Kansas City. 
she knew this guy. Hey, I know him. He lives south. <laughs> and they were like, great, thanks, lady. No. Yeah. That is one example of the like hundreds that were coming in of people saying, I know him. He lives here. Oh, it's going to be so frustrating. So having to sift through all of those like, fuck, no, you don't know him. Uh. Another example of a tip that came in was a man identified the body as his cousin. But when the man's sister confirmed that the cousin had actually died five years earlier, they realized, wow, buddy, no, it can't be because your cousin has been dead. And the police were like, oh, you know, like to this man's credit, the resemblance between the cousin and Owen were very strong. So we understand. Yeah, but also. I know. <laughs> they're just being nice about it. Another tip that came in was a week into the investigation and a man named Tony, Ber Tony Bernardi, he was a wrestling promoter from Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, no. And he came to view the body and ended up identifying him as a man named Cecil Werner. So Tony had told the police that Cecil had approached him around the beginning of December 1934 about wrestling some matches. So Bernardi had referred him to another promoter in Omaha, Nebraska. But when the police reached out to that promoter in Omaha, he was shown a picture and was like, I have no fucking idea who this guy is, but it is not Cecil. That dude just wanted to be in the paper. Yeah, he's a promoter. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it, the police took it seriously because the staff and, like, was one of the first things the staff noticed was that he had cauliflower ear. Yeah, he looked like a boxer. So he looked like he had been a boxer. Yeah. And also, if you come to view the body and you see the cauliflower ear, you're like, oh, shit. Look yeah. in there. Yeah. So yeah. this, like, he's probably just, like, some slick Rick who was like, okay. Yeah, 100%. I could get some notoriety off of this. Yeah, I some business. I 100%. He's like, you guys, this is, this is a national conversation? All right, let me just put my name out there. Mm -hmm. And my shows, which I'm sure that they're going to talk about my fights. No, you got my name wrong. I'm the human spider. Get on out there, kid. <laughs> <laughs> nice outfit. Your, your boyfriend make that for you? Husband? Husband. That's a cute outfit. Did your husband buy it for you? <laughs> the mission to identify Owen continued and officers recalled props to account where, after he had checked in, Owen said that he had left the nearby Moolabak Hotel after one night to the, due to the high rates. So the police were like, shit, I guess we should go over to the Moolabak Hotel and see if staff know who this guy is. Yep. So they went over there and the staff was like, no, we have no record of a man named Roland T. Owen. Sorry, this guy never checked in. So they were seen. A, they were shown a picture of him, mm -hmm. and the staff were like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, I was gonna say. Actually, this guy did check in, but it wasn't Roland T. Owen. He checked in under the name Eugene K. Scott, but he was from Los Angeles, and he he also requested an interior room. Can I just say this guy's great at picking names? Mm -hmm. Those are great names. Roland T. Owen. Eugene K. Scott. Really love the initial. Yeah, he does. He's got to yeah. have it. It seems legit, right? Yeah. So they were like, oh, that's 
that's wild. Like, yeah, absolutely. This guy was here, but it wasn't under that name. Mm-hmm. So the KCPD spoke with the LAPD again because they were like, okay, I know that nothing came up for Roland T. Owen, but I got a new name for you. Eugene K. Scott. Will you look that up? Mm-hmm. Once again, the LAPD was like, no, there's no Eugene K. Scott here. Sorry. What was this guy involved with? I know. He, it's wild. He was up to something, but he got knocked off. Unfortunately, there was two new homicide cases in Kansas City that drew the detectives' attention away from Owens' case. Mm -hmm. The leads were still followed up on, but less vigorously than they had been in the initial weeks of Owens' death. Mm -hmm. Plus, none of the leads that they were getting yielded any significant information. They They were, like, tirelessly following these leads to see like where they'd go and they were trying and because the police's attention was sort of drawn away it snowballed and it resulted in newspaper coverage on his case also diminishing The case returned to the newspapers on March 3rd, 1935, when the funeral home where the body had been kept announced it would be burying the man's body in the city's potter field the next day. Hucking him in the dump. (laughs) Throw him in the trash. (laughs) That day, March 3rd, the funeral home received a call from a man who asked that the funeral be delayed so he could send the funeral home some money for a grave and service at Memorial Park Cemetery in Kansas City so that Owen could be buried near his sister. That's... Wait a minute. This is such a mob <laughs> hit. This is so like, oh, we killed him, but we are still like have like code. So we're going to bury him proper Christian-like next to his sister, which also you couldn't find a single family member to confirm, but I know. I know, there's so many angles of this where you're like, okay, okay, I think I see where this is going, huh? What? <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna wire you some money. I'm gonna wire some money. It's 1935, they had to mail it. I was thinking of a little telegraph. That's Morse code. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a telegraph, though? Yeah. <laughs> The the funeral director warned the caller that he would have to tell the police about this call, and the caller was like, yeah, that's fine, I don't give a fuck. The funeral director asked why Owen had been killed, because he was like, well, you seem to know so much about him. Mm -hmm. Why was he murdered then? And according to the caller, Owen had had an affair with one woman while engaged to marry another. So the caller and two women... So one that was engaged and the other that was the mistress had apparently arranged, quote unquote, the encounter with him at the hotel in order to exact revenge. Mm-hmm. And then this mysterious caller just yelled, cheaters usually get what's coming to them and hung up the phone. Well, that that adds to my theory about there being a Mr. and Mils- Mrs. Mr. and Milson. (laughs) Mr. and Milson Wilson. Owen. A Mr. and Mrs. Owen. Mm. Side by side in a 
skeezy hotel with no windows. Yeah, and I mean, Jean Owen had said that she could hear um male and like male and female voices. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. That sounds like a cover your ass statement. Like, I also heard a woman's voice. I, I totally because she was in the fucking room. She, uh, I'm saying it here first. She was in the room. <laughs> honestly, she never comes up again. Just I, saying it right now. She has cleared. She had nothing in the police's eyes to do with it. It was a convenient last name. Plus, they thought it was, his last name was an alias anyway. Yeah. I, I still think my theory runs. Okay, well, you... Because if, if they were set up. Okay. But, anyway. The, the, like, mafia mob shit, it's like, you're not alone in thinking that. Mm-hmm. People are like, something's really weird here. There is so many, like, not even loose ends. Like, stuff does fit, if you really think about it, but... Well, I mean, cheaters can also be just a convenient, like, analogy. Yeah, you can just be like, oh, they were having an affair. We had to get rid of them. But, like, if it was something more, like, oh, He could be really like- coy about it. He could be like... You know, he was a rat or yeah, 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 yeah. something, and they go like, "Yo, he's a cheater." Exactly. Yeah. It's all. I mean, at, at the end of the day, we are talking about a, a little mystery. It's like it's an unsolved mystery. So, like, mm-hmm. really, you can speculate on anything. Yeah. So, like this weirdo fucking phone call that went to the funeral home. A similar call had been made to a local florist, where the caller said he would send that florist some money. So that an arrangement of 13 American Beauty Roses could be sent to the grave. The caller said, quote, I'm doing this for my sister. I'll send you a $5 bill, special delivery. (laughs) So again, he mentions a sister. Yep. Special delivery. (laughs) This is is so old school mob. I know it might not be, but it's the perfect movie for it. You're allowed to think what you'd like. Yeah. All right, thanks. The funeral service was actually postponed per the anonymous caller's request. So they took it seriously enough and they were like, well, buddy says he's sending money and we're going to have a proper burial. So like, let's just see where this goes. Mm-hmm. So on March 23rd, the funeral home received an envelope from an unknown sender. The address was carefully lettered using a ruler and inside there was $25 wrapped in newspaper. $25 in 1935, Dyson. What is that today? Uh, USD. 75 bucks. If $5 was $106. Right. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, it would be 536 bucks. What? Wow, it's 533. Oh. <laughs> wow, you are so close. Yeah, well, I mean, you tipped me off. I forgot about the $5. Okay. For, okay. So I just did it in my head very quickly. Okay, well, then, like, fuck me, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Scratch that. I'll just take the damn compliment. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. So this was enough money to cover the expenses. And so not long after the funeral home received this money for the burial, the um, another envelope was received to the florist that had the $5 in it. So with this payment, there was a card to the florist. There was also a card along in this envelope that mm-hmm. had what the police describe as disguised handwriting. And it read, 
Love forever, Louise. Oh my god, I love this. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so coy and obviously like alluding to something. Mm. I love it. So the police obviously like investigated this angle as well. They tried to figure out who the fuck was making these phone calls. But at the end of the day, all they could determine was that the phone calls were made from payphones. So they have no idea who made these calls. They're and literally like mysterious callers. And also that the guy who's doing this is relishing. He is yeah, 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 yeah. relishing in he his death. He loves it. He's so dramatic. He's absolutely like I'm imagining he's calling these people up in a fur coat. Like he's <laughs> Clutching just like, his lapels. Yeah. It's like <laughs> cheaters get what they deserve. Cheaters <laughs> usually get what's coming to them. <laughs> So, yeah, the police, all they could determine was that these phone calls were definitely made from a payphone, but they had nothing else to go on. They did not know who this caller was. They did not know who these, like, two women were that he, like, mysteriously alluded to. They just know that the phone caller is obviously on Broadway. Yes, 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 yes. Drama queen. So the funeral was held shortly after the payment was received. Mm -hmm. Besides the officiating minister, the only attendees were police detectives and some of them actually served as pallbearers. Oh, so that's really mi- wholesome of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the mystery man was laid to rest under the name Roland T. Owen, and the bouquet of American roses was placed on his grave. For the next few days, the detectives who had been like working the case and attended this funeral, they actually um, posed as grave diggers and staked out the gravesite to see if <laughs> anyone would come and visit. <laughs> yeah, and... No one came to visit. Oh. No Edgar cool, Allan Poe. Someone uh, in a fur visitor. coat. Yeah. Yeah, but even then, they'd have no idea who that is. The Edgar yeah. Allan Poe visitor? They don't even know who that All is. All I know is that they stopped coming. Because they probably fucking died. Yeah, it was years and years and years. But yeah. Every time we do an episode, it comes back to fucking Stephen at Spoils of Horror, who had messaged that to me and said, hey, they should look into this. It'd be very fascinating. I don't think there's enough to do for a whole case, like a whole episode. Yeah. But it would be something very interesting to look into as to who is leaving these flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Every episode, man, comes back to Stephen. <laughs> Stephen did it. <laughs> I'm like... Love you. (laughs) He did it. (laughs) So a few days after the funeral, a woman called the Kansas City Journal. Um, that they called. She called the newsroom at the Kansas City Journal, Mm -hmm. and she was like, "Yo, the earlier story that you published had details that were wrong because that dead man from room ten forty six was not buried in a pauper's grave. He was given a formal burial." Mm. <laughs> Sorry, so dramatic. She was like, the funeral home, the flower shop can verify this. So, like, check your sources. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, wow, guns blazing. Um, who are you? Yeah. And how do you know this? She's like, never mind. I know what I'm talking about. So they were like, okay, so if you know what you're talking about, like, give us more info. Like, sure, yeah. we can we can run with this. Yeah, Gene, what's up? <laughs> oh, i'm shitting on gene but she's she's cleared so far <laughs> they're like okay so fine you know what you're talking about you have all this information for us and give us more you want us to publish a correct story need more info that's mm-hmm. helpful 
Yeah. So give it to me. And she just went, he got into a jam and hung up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. I love how coy everyone is when they get on the phone. <laughs> how's your uh, how's your brain feeling? You, you, you feeling a little... I'm with it, but I'm with it because it's so interesting. It is so interesting. But I can right? see how you get so confused with all these aliases and a lot all of these calls being and... very like they're alluding to some shit. They're obviously like dark phone calls, but it's you know, wild I, though, I right? I find it really interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And how are you guys feeling? You guys digging it? Are you guys enjoying it? Okay, I hope so. Because that's where we're going to leave it for part one. Yeah. Tune in next time or else you're going to be pushing up daisies, baby. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely tune in next time. Because next time is when we are going to learn who this mysterious man is. Because we do know his true identity. Oh, shit. So I'll tell you who he really is. Oh, you know what, listeners? You know what sucks? They get to find out in like five minutes. <laughs> you got to wait a whole fucking week. <laughs> Don't Google it either. That's fucking no, cheating. Stay along for the ride of meticulously written this episode. So you motherfuckers better stay in, subscribe. We'll find out who this man is. I'll text you if it's Gene. <laughs> this man was Gene. <laughs> you never know. You don't know at this point. That'd be a honestly. fucking twist and a half, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at writing, but not that good. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna find out who the hell this man's is. Where we will get into some like potential case developments. We'll discuss some very compelling theories of who killed him and why they killed him. And we'll touch on some other oddities about the crime scene and the case and stuff like that. So let's find out about that fucking knife wound or stab wound to the lung through the diaphragm. <laughs> that one's still a question mark for me. Well, you guys have a week to sit and think about it. Yeah. Do not Google it, okay? Sit there, think about it. Think about it for yourselves. What do you think happened? Really stew on the information I gave you. Come to your own conclusions, and it'll be interesting for when you listen next week and hear the theories that are out there, because then you can be, like, proud of yourself for, like, oh, fuck, yeah, what I thought about actually matches that. Yeah. And we would love to hear what you guys think so far um on this case of course but like all of the cases we cover and we post a lot of pictures on social media related to the cases so make sure that you follow along with us on instagram we are also on twitter you can dm us in case suggestions or you can send them through email as well darkadaptationpodcast at gmail.com <laughs> Please check out our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca, where you can access our store and buy a beautiful embroidered iron-on patch. Mm -hmm. You can also access the store through our Instagram and Facebook as well. Yeah, start a little indie podcast merch collection. That'd be so cute. That would actually be badass. I would like to see that. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you're listening and rate the show five stars. It helps us a lot. Mm -hmm. It helps us get discovered. And it also just makes us really happy. Plus, I mean, if you leave a review, I'll shout you out. Yeah, we do a little shout out. Tune in next week for part two of the mysterious guest in room 1046. Catch you on the next time. Bye. See ya, chump. Oh, my God.
She was just about done her night shift as a hotel switchboard operator. In her police statement, she says, Uh... <laughs> You, you of all people should not be a switchboard operator. Alright, I'll patch you in. Click. I just make the. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, okay, I'll patch you in. Click. They're like, I can hear you breathing. Uh, go ahead. 